you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them, please, to the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, as we continue a sermon series that we began last week. Malachi was a prophet sent by God to the church and to the people who claimed the name of God in his day. A church and a people who had fallen away. A message to come back before it's too late. Malachi would be the last time God would speak to his church and to his people before the coming of his son the first time. The things that Malachi had to say then are the things that we need to hear today because this might be God's last message to the church and to you and I who make up the church before the coming of his son again, the second time, the Lord Jesus. So the message is relevant. It's contemporary. It's not just for those of that day. It's for us this morning. And you're going to find many similarities I'm sad to say, and what he said then and what he's saying now. Malachi chapter 1. Let's read together verse 6 through verse 8, though we'll be looking at the entire chapter. A son honors his father. A servant honors his master. If I be a father, says the Lord... Where is my honor? If I be a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts unto his church and people? O priest, O people, why do you despise my name? And they sarcastically answer back, How have we despised your name? Verse 7, You offer polluted bread upon my altar. And then you sarcastically say, how have we offered you polluted bread? Why have you made the table of the Lord contemptible? And when you offer your animals, you bring the blind for sacrifice. Is this not evil? You offer the lame and sick. Unto me, is this not evil? Would you offer these kind of things to the governor? Would he be pleased with you if you brought him your leftovers? Or accept you as a person, said the Lord of hosts. We'll pause right there. Malachi's message is centered on worship. It's about worship to a people that have made the worship of God a burden, a bother, and a bore. They come to church out of duty. They have to come. Rather than coming out of devotion, they want to come. They read the bulletin, but they won't read the Bible. They sing hymns without any thought to what they're singing and no feeling behind what they're singing. 
They listened to sermons while they watched their watch and hope the preacher will say amen sooner than later. They enter the doors of worship like a turtle and they exit the doors of worship like a rabbit. They reluctantly come to worship God, but they delightfully get out of church very quickly so they can watch the football game or go to the lake. They worship with no energy. They worship with no excitement. There's no relevance to their worship. There's no reality. They have no interest in it. They have no involvement in it. They are DOA every Sunday, dead on arrival. The only time they pray is to ask God to help them get through the service and to get out on time. This was the church and the people of Malachi's day that God sent him to address. Can I stop preaching for a moment and meddle a tad? What would Malachi say about our worship of the Lord this morning? Because remember, this isn't just about what took place thousands of years ago. Maybe it's about what's taking place right now. Maybe it's not just about Malachi's church and the people of that day. Maybe it's about Miles Road Baptist Church and you and I today. What would Malachi say and what would we say if he asked us these questions? Do we really want to be here? Do you really want to be here? Are you here because your wife or your husband made you come? Your mom or dad made you come? Or you get a letter from the pastor if you don't come? Or a call from your Sunday school teacher. Do you really want to be here? In your heart of hearts, do you really want to be here? Are you just going through the motions? Are you here right now as you're here every Sunday just going through the motions? We're pretty predictable how we do our services. And you just go through the motions. Prayer time, just go through the motions. Singing time, just go through the motions. Everything is ho-hum, just a big yawn to you. Is your attitude this morning, you're doing God a favor being here? Hey, God, here am I. Aren't you glad you see me this morning? Is that your attitude? You're doing God a favor just by showing up. Is worship to you just a veneer? And behind that veneer, that very thin veneer, there is rotting wood infested with the termites of apathy. And one day it's all going to come crashing down. Is our worship like $3 bills? <laughs> Counterfeit? What's your answer to those questions? By the way, you know God already knows the answer, don't you? 
He knows our minds and hearts. So whether you want to answer the question or not, it's irrelevant. God knows the answer. This morning, I'd like to lay three things on your heart about this matter of phony worship. Maybe phony worship takes place here. Maybe it takes place out there. But it was certainly taking place in Malachi's time. And God sends a messenger to do something about it. I want you to notice in verse 6 that if we don't want to have phony worship, if we want to have worship that is true and genuine and sincere and acceptable and pleasing to God, that we must recognize who God is. Because sometimes we lose sight of who we're worshiping. We just worship the worship. Notice in verse 6, Malachi describes God as a father. He describes God as a master, but more than that, he describes God as the Lord of hosts. He says a son honors his father, a servant his master. If I be a father, where is my honor? If I be your master, where is my respect or fear? Says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh unto you. Priest, you despise my name. Congregation, you despise my name. And they sarcastically answer, How have we done that to you? Who is this God that we have come to worship? Who was that God that they were called to come and worship? Well, first of all, God describes himself as a father. This is God speaking through Malachi. He says, you have a human father. This human father loves you. You honor him. I am your heavenly father. I love you. Will you not love me? I care for you. Will you not honor me? What you would do horizontally, will you not do it vertically? And then God describes himself as a master. He says, I've called you to serve with me, to be a partner with me in the ministry. I've called you to do that with me, and, and I bless you for that service. Just like a human master calls you to do service for him, and he will compensate you. God says, I call you to, de- to do service for me. And I bless you and reward you and crown you for it. So God immediately describes himself as a father who says, I love you. Will you not honor me? He describes himself as a master. A master who who calls people to service and blesses them for it. He says, will not you respect me? And then he caps it off by describing himself in the most sacred name that God has ever called in the Scripture. God has many names, none more sacred, more holy than the name Lord of hosts. Seven times 
from verse 6 to verse 14, he describes himself. Nobody else describes him that way. He describes himself. God says, I'm the Lord of hosts. This Lord of hosts literally translates Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh speaks of God's person. Yahweh speaks of God's attributes. Who is God as a person? He's Yahweh. What's Yahweh mean? It means he's the true God. All other gods are false. He's the true God. He's the living God. All other gods are dead. He alone is alive. He alone is God. All other gods are nothing but foolish men's imaginations or wicked men's creations. He's not only greater than the other gods, he's the only God. He's Yahweh God. He's true. He's living He's alone as God. And this God called Yahweh, he is all wise. He knows every single thing, past, present, future. You never tell him something he doesn't know. He's all wise. He's also all powerful. There's nothing he can't do. Nothing he can't. He's all-present. There's no place he's not. He fills the universe with his bigness, yet he lives inside of our heart with his smallness. He's all-wise. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He's everywhere. He's all-holy. Absolute purity and perfection. He's greater than ivory soap. He's also eternal. He has no past. He has no future. He's eternally present. He's always. That's why he calls himself the great I am. I am that I am. I've always been I am. I've never been I was. I've never been I will be. I am that I am. And it is this Yahweh that the people of Malachi's day had forgotten. Can you imagine coming to worship God and forgetting who he is? That's like going to somebody's birthday party and forgetting whose party you went to. They were coming to worship God, but they had lost sight of who God was. They had forgotten that he was a father. They forgot he was a master. Most of all, they forgot he was the Lord of hosts. And they forgot all the attributes that he had for them. You know what happens when you lose sight of who God is in your worship? Your worship will become as stale as last month's bread and as dry as last year's bird nest. When you just come to worship and you're not got the right focus, 
or your focus is skewed or blurred about what you're looking at, then God becomes no big deal. And your worship to God becomes no big deal. How can people lose sight of God? I mean, how can you do that? Well, first of all, it can happen because of bad theology. We live in a day where there is no theology anymore in the church. Theology is an understanding of God's Word. But God's Word isn't preached in many churches anymore. And because it's not preached in many churches, the people learn things, but they don't learn what the Word of God says. Thus saith the Lord. Theology is important because it teaches us the great doctrines of the faith. And when you've got bad theology, you will have a bad understanding of God. And one of the things that perhaps they had done to God that we're doing to God is they have humanized God and deified man. That's called pantheism. God is all, all is God. And when you buy into that kind of bad theology, because if you don't know good theology, you're going to fall for bad theology. Bad theology minimized who God was and maximized who we are. And that's why you see in so many worship services today in some places, it's all about us. He's got left out. Shouldn't surprise us, though, in the book of Revelation, the last church, the church at Laodicea. Do you know where Jesus is in relationship to the church? He's outside the door knocking to get in. Can you imagine us gathering together on Sunday morning at 1030 to worship and we lock Jesus out? Ushers, don't let him in. We can worship without him. Who are you going to worship? Us. It's all about me, isn't it? You say, no, it's all about me. Okay, it's all about you then. But bad theology leads to a wrong concept of who God is and leads to bad worship. And in Malachi's day, they had humanized God and deified themselves. Also, a bad attitude can skew who God is. A bad attitude. Bad attitudes come when you've got bad things in your life. You ever met somebody who's a sad sack and a sourpuss? Look like a Georgia Bulldog. Sorry, sorry, Carolina fans. But you play another Georgia this coming week, you'll win. No, I just, okay? But <laughs> you know why people look sad and sour, like they'll bite you? Usually because they have sin in their life. And when you've got sin in your life, it will affect your relationship with God and how you view Him. Bad theology can do it, but a bad attitude can do it. When Abel and Cain came together and brought a worship to God in Genesis chapter 4, of course, most of you know the story. Abel brought a lamb and offered it to God. His, sacri his sacrifice was accepted. Cain brought fruit and vegetables and his sacrifice was rejected. Now, we know the basic reason why Cain's sacrifice was rejected. It's because he brought a bloodless sacrifice. The 
Forgiveness of sin requires the shedding of blood. That's why Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, had to shed his blood at a cross called Calvary. But also, Cain's sacrifice was rejected because the Bible says he came with an evil heart. Abel came with a pure heart. Cain came with an evil heart. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 tells us that. So God said to Cain, I don't want your bloodless sacrifice, but I don't want your sinful sacrifice. So when you have bad theology, that can affect how you see God. When you have a bad attitude and sin in your life, that can affect how you see God. When you have bad actions in your life, when you decide that you're going to give God your leftovers, your pocket change, your junk, your damaged goods, when you have that kind of action in your life, then it'll skew how you see God. And as we're going to see in just a moment, God's people was bringing to the sacrifice table, the altar table, moldy bread and diseased animals. You see, how you see God affects how you worship. So let me ask you a question. How do you see God? Do you see him as Yahweh, Lord of hosts? Or do you see him as something lesser than that? We live in a sad day when people choose a place to worship, not based on Yahweh being lifted up, the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, being lifted up, but rather we choose a place to worship based on our carnality, our casualness, our convenience, our cheapness, our comfort, our ability to come and go when we feel like it, or have a cup of coffee in our hand and a cigarette in our mouth while we worship. And many people choose a place to worship not based on a high image of God, but the low image of God they want that they can worship in any way they desire and feel like they've done him a favor. But secondly, let's move on. Malachi not only talks to them about their need to recognize who God is. They've lost their vision. They've lost their their, their focus of who God is. And because they've lost that, they've lost their ability to worship Him with any kind of passion. But also, he says, when you worship God, give Him your best. Look at verse 8 and 9. I want you to picture in your mind you're at this worship service in Malachi's day. God says to them in verse 8 and 9, verse 7, you have offered me polluted bread from upon the altar. Verse 8, you have offered me the blind for a sacrifice. You've offered me the lame and the sick for a sacrifice. That's what you bring to me. If you brought that to the governor, would he take it? <laughs> of course, the implication is no. 
When we come to God, ladies and gentlemen, and worship, we're to bring him our best. All right, let's, let's go back now to church in Malachi's day, okay? We're all in Malachi's day. I'm the prophet Malachi. Okay? Now I'm standing over. The priest is here. And you're bringing your offerings to God. To Yahweh God. That's who he is. He may not be that to you, but he's Yahweh God. And you're bringing your tithes, your offerings, and your sacrifices to him. Now, in that day, they didn't come to you. You came to them. So we're going to start with Keith, and we're just going to work right down the row here. And then come over here. And then go over here. And then come over here. Everybody's going to bring their tithes and their offerings. And here comes somebody proudly carrying a loaf of bread. But it's not white bread. It's not brown bread. It's green bread. It's covered in mold. Not only is it green tinted, not only is it moldy, but it's heavy. It takes a weightlifter to carry the thing. And it's hard as a rock. You can't cut it with a knife. You need a hammer and chisel. And somebody comes down the aisle carrying that green loaf of hard bread, old bread, and lays it on the altar and smiles and walks away. Another comes bringing the animal of sacrifice. They bring a dove who has a broken wing. Lay the dove on the altar. Another comes behind them and brings a goat that's missing a leg, a three-legged goat. Another brings a lamb that was born with a deformity. And the lamb can't walk straight, so the lamb has to walk sideways. So down to sideways the lamb comes. Somebody brings a heifer, and the heifer is 113 years old. <laughs> he brings the heifer fast because he doesn't want the heifer to drop dead before he gets it to the altar. Man, she's old. Wrinkled. They're all. Got to get her down the aisle because if she dies before she gets to the altar, he's got to do something with her. Let the priest fool with her. One by one they came, and they bring their diseased, deformed animals and drop them off at the altar. Now remember, these animals of sacrifice are a picture of Jesus. That's what they think about Jesus, who, by the way, was the pure and perfect, spotless Lamb of God. So they bring God these animals, and then they bring God their change. One, two, three, four, five cents, five pennies a pack. Bing, bing, bing. Oh, a nickel. Oh, 67 cents. Boy, this is a big one today. Now, think you're watching this. Would you be impressed? 
moldy bread, diseased, deformed animals, and pocket change for the offerings. You'd say, who in the world would bring that kind of junk, that kind of garbage, that kind of leftovers to God? Let me ask you a question. Would we? Do we not sometimes give God pocket change? Do we not give God junk sometimes, leftovers? What we really don't want, we give to Him. Sure we do. And we act like we've done God a favor. Now, if you were to ask them why they did that, they would tell you this. Taxes. We've got to pay high taxes. That's all we can afford. And we've got a big house that we've got to pay for and six cars we've got to pay for and a boat we've got to pay for and a vacation home we've got to pay for and we've got season tickets to the Carolina Panthers. We've got to pay for them. So we don't have a lot. <laughs> I guess not. So they give God leftovers. Now, we wouldn't do that, would we? Would we? You know, the Bible says there's three principles when you're going to bring a gift to God. Number one, you bring God your best. If He is Yahweh God, does He not deserve our best? Does He? John chapter 12, remember when the lady came and sat at the feet of Jesus? And she began to rub his feet. If you recall, you know the story? With Dove dishwashing detergent. I mean, she had her bottle, $1.39, poured it in there, and she was rubbing his feet, right, with that? She brought a box of alabaster with perfumed fragrance, cream. Many people believe that that perfume she was to put on Jesus' feet was worth a year's salary for a common man. So take what you make in a year, and that's what she had in that little box, a perfumed fragrance cream. She brought him the best. She didn't bring him a dollar thirty-nine cents dishwashing detergent. She put her best on the feet of her Savior. Not only does giving require our best, it requires our first. In Second Chronicles thirty-one verse five. It speaks of the Israelites, and when they brought their offerings to God, they always brought him the first. The first of the grain, the first of the fruits, the first of the wine, the first of the oil. God got the first. He didn't get the last, he got the first. He got the top, he didn't get the bottom. They gave to him not only their best, they gave to him their first. 
Ladies and gentlemen, tithing is about giving God the first. This isn't a message on tithing, but I'm just letting you know, if you're not tithing, you're giving God less than the first. You're saying to God, I'm giving you leftovers. If I have anything left, you'll get that. Giving also means that you not only give God your best, not only give God your first, but you give God your extra. Story is told in the Bible in 2 Samuel 24 of David going to make an offering to God. David needed a place to give the offering, so he found a place. He needed something to offer the Lord in the sacrifice. And so he found someone who would give him not only the place to worship, to offer the sacrifice, but would give him the sacrifice. In other words, David was now going to offer a sacrifice to God that cost him nothing. He had a free place. He had the free sacrifices. All, God, all David had to do was give it. But David understood something. You can't come to worship Yahweh God on the cheap. You can't give him what you haven't invested in. It's kind of be like if you were coming in the door with your tithing envelope in your hand and somebody walks up to you and says, listen, put that back in your pocket. I got you covered this Sunday. Oh, you do? Okay. Now you would give it. But you're not giving something that came from you. You're giving something that came from somebody else. David said, I can't offer to God something that costs me nothing. Thank you for the place. I'll use it. Thank you for the things you're giving me to sacrifice. I'll sacrifice them. But I'm also going to pay you for this place. And I'm also going to get my own sacrifices and add to the lot. I'm going to give God something that costs me something. Does our giving to God reflect that? Because how you view God reflects how you give to God. And many of us give God our worst, not our best, our last, not our first, and we give God somebody else's stuff and not our own. Cheap giving comes from cheap worship that comes from a cheap in view of God. And then lastly, verses 10 through 14. Malachi says you need to recognize who God is if you're going to worship him, right? He's Yahweh God. You need to give this Yahweh God your best and your first and your extra. He deserves that. Don't give him junk and leftovers and garbage that means nothing to you and means nothing to him. And then he says, understand when you worship that you are witnessing the greatness of God to people who are unsaved. Verse 10 through 14. But particularly I want you to notice verse 11 and verse 14, which we'll read. 
For from the rising of the sun even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, the lost, those who don't know me, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 14 at the bottom. He says, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be dreadful, respected among the heathen. Now Malachi is talking about worship, and do you know that giving is part of worship? Shake your head. How you give says a lot about who you're worshiping. But also Malachi says we give a witness to unsaved people when we gather to worship. Notice he talks about the Gentiles and the heathen. He's not being disrespectful or rude to these people. That's what you call lost people in Malachi's day. Those who didn't know the living God. And what he's saying is to the people of his day is this. When you come to worship me, God, Yahweh, people who don't know me are watching you so they know what to do with God. Does that make sense to you? In this congregation, there's people who don't know Jesus. They're religious people. They're church people. They're ethical people. They're moral people. They're patriotic people. They'll give you the shirt off their back. But if they were to die right now, they would bust hell wide open because they don't have a personal relationship with Christ Jesus. And so they're sitting here watching those of us who do. And they're making evaluations about whether they want this Jesus that we tell them is the answer to every question. Or would they rather walk out the door and go look elsewhere? And they're watching how we worship. When we rush in to get here, and we're apathetic when we are here, and we're unchanged when we leave here, and we start over again the next week the same way. What does that say to them about this Lord Jesus Christ, Yahweh God, that we're trying to talk to them about? Let me close by asking you this. Suppose in your section right now, there's an unsaved person sitting there, and he's been watching you. Yeah, yeah, you, you. For whatever reason, his eyes have been on you. His ears have been listening to everything you whisper. He's been experiencing worship through you. He's lost. He's on his way to a devil's hell. He's filled with guilt. He's filled with fear. He's filled with emptiness. He's filled with insecurities. But he's here because he's looking. Now, he's been watching you. Is he more inclined 
to come and give his life to Jesus from what he's seen in your worship and my worship? Or is he more inclined to walk out those doors and never come back because of what he's seen? Have we been stepping stones this morning or stumbling blocks? Has he seen a great God in our worship or a mediocre God? Has he seen a God that, that causes us to be connected and engaged in or a God that causes us to be disconnected and disengaged? Has he seen life or has he seen sickness and dying and death all around us? Has he, have we given him something this morning that he believes he could live for and die for? Or as the British say, have we showed him poppycock? Fancy British word for a bunch of baloney. What, if, what has he seen in you? What has he seen in me? Malachi was pretty tough on those people. He said, you don't have genuine worship because you don't know who I am anymore. You've lost sight that I'm Yahweh God. I'm something less than that in your eyes. And therefore, you give me less. And because I'm not Yahweh God, it affects how you give to me. You give me leftovers and garbage and junk and trinkets. Pocket change, leftovers, and think I'm happy with it. And the very people you're trying to witness to out there when they come in here, they watch you and say, I don't want it. Heads are bowed and eyes are bowed.